1: Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. And my name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Mike Newton, in for Josh Miller tonight. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Doing a little pitch hitting for Josh. Great. Uh, nice to see you. And uh, Josh is, of course, on uh, his, uh, what, uh, semi-annual trip to Hong Kong, I guess? No, it's it? supposed
2: to be an annual one. Sometimes it ends up being semi-annual, and uh, sometimes he just doesn't come back. So. <laughs> I think
1: he's scheduled to come back next week, but yeah. we'll... Uh, we'll Keep your fingers crossed, I guess. Uh, tonight on the program, we'll be chatting with Chris Oldland from Hatley Apparel, plus Nick Moraitis, will we buy later in the program, uh, to talk about uh, the latest on, um, on, on family business transition. And uh, do you want to start there, Mike, what's been happening in the last few months, perhaps just a preview uh, of uh, what Nick's going to talk about later?
2: Well, basically, I mean, there's been a lot of changes. If we go back to July 18th uh, with the whole discussion of uh, Mr. Morneau and... Uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau's decision to try and crack down on uh, on the tax uh, as they call them, the loopholes and, and the cheats, which I take great offense to because just because you happen to make money and follow the system doesn't throw you into that category. Uh, there were some very heavy proposals that were placed uh, at the time in terms of where they wanted to go. They let the uh, consultation period open until October 2nd and they were stunned at the number of responses that they had. Uh, I don't think they expected to have any kind of pushback the way they did. And I think the big area really revolved around the family business transition and the tax implications, which uh, appeared at first to uh, I guess, try and offset uh, the uh, the middle class and, and everybody else, but certainly turned out to be very onerous and uh, pretty much uh, deleted any kind of risk premium that an entrepreneur should get for, for what he's doing. So Nick will really jump into the whole discussion of the fairness and, and everything else. And for those of you that haven't listened to Nick before, he's uh, one of the few tax
1: guys I can hear that's actually entertaining. So uh, hmm. hopefully he'll keep you going for a few minutes. That is true. Nick's on the way later in the program. Now first to chat about uh, some general entrepreneurial news of note and this story from the Financial Post. Nature virtu- versus nurture. Is an entrepreneur born or raised? What's, what's your take on this? And how can you train, uh, especially kids, to be entrepreneurs?
2: You know what? For those of us that are sports fans, you know it's the ongoing discussion. Is a leader born or, uh, or raised? And I think it falls into the same category. I certainly think that you are an individual that has leadership tendencies that can be honed. Uh, I think it's very difficult to take somebody who doesn't have some kind of leadership skill, and whether that's an entrepreneur or whether that's a, a pure leader, and, and turn them into something they're not. Um, I think there's a certain number of qualities that brings you to the table um, for whatever it is you're going to do. Uh, so yes, can you hone hundred uh, percent? Can you create? It's going to take an awful lot of work. I mean, certainly from an entrepreneurial perspective, you have to be able to do a few things and one is always to execute, the other is to have passion in what you're doing, uh, and the third really is to kind of be mindful of, of the environment around you and how you affect and how you come across to other people. So, you know, if you look at all three of those traits you know, you can tell, you know, people that either have them or don't have them. Can they be taught? Definitely. But it's a lot more work.
1: When it comes to, you know, children and early childhood education, you know, you, you think that your your kid might have a um, sort of a sensibility for this kind of thing. What do you do as a parent? What would you recommend for parents? I mean, do you start with the lemonade stand, for example? Yeah, I mean, uh, you you can start with anything that kind of
2: drives that entrepreneurial spirit, and whether that's a lemonade stand, which uh, you know maybe today is turned into selling stuff on Kijiji or whatever the case may be, is finding an outlet for your child to to be able to take um, a skill set and hone that skill set. You know, it's funny, it's you you'll watch guys that are serial entrepreneurs, the same as you'll find kids that end up uh, being captains of industry that were always the captain of their hockey team or their football team or their baseball team. There 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 is a consistency there, and I think it's up. to the parents to try and uh you know work with that child and maybe not force them into a box that doesn't exist i think there are certain people that just should
1: not to be entrepreneurs then again there are certain people that shouldn't be parents either so <laughs> here's a quote from the financial post story the way in which parents communicate and reward their children during childhood and adolescence is a major determinant in shaping their entrepreneurial spirit
2: yeah i would agree i mean you certainly again it's it's trying to create the sense of accountability uh, for your actions and what the implications are. And certainly from an entrepreneurial side, you need to understand that, you know, there's a, there, there's a penalty and reward for everything that we do. But there's no doubt when it comes to an entrepreneurial side of things, uh, it, sometimes it's, it's a little bit heavier. Um, and the implications can be uh, a little more far reaching than they are if, uh, if you're working purely as an employee.
1: One of our favorite resources, uh, inc.com. They have this list, uh, which is right up my alley 15 marketing strategies that inspire strategic thinkers. Should we whiz through them and I'll get your thoughts? Uh, sure. I was weird. actually,
2: I thought you were going to take this one, but.
1: Oh, oh we, can, we can both go back and <laughs> we'll forth. We'll go if back and on. forth. Um, partner with
2: allies is number one. Yeah. Look, at the, the end of the day, it's very, very difficult to, to get in, excuse the expression, get into bed with somebody that you just you, you can't deal with. So, I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, uh, your partnership from a marketing perspective has to be somebody you trust, has to be somebody you have similar values to. Very difficult to uh, to run out and start uh, start marketing if,
1: uh, if you don't trust the other person on the other side. Uh, I would add your marketer has to get you also. They have yes. to get your mission, get what your business is about. They have to really understand your passion. And uh, number two here is embrace user-generated content.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it's a topic that it, 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 it's come up in a couple of other topics actually recently in terms of where do you stand as, as an entrepreneur and, and what how quickly do you react to what's coming out in the marketplace and how often do you actually say you're wrong? You know, it, it's tough to us, as professionals, we're taught to never really say we're ever wrong. We're always supposed to find the angle that doesn't make it sound that way. The reality is an entrepreneur, the best thing they can do is say, yep, made
1: a mistake and move on. Hmm. Well, they expect you to interact with, with their brand a little. And even when you make a mistake, you have to say, I'm sorry, and here's what we're going to do better. And stuff like the, you know, what the best, some of the best educations come from making mistakes.
2: Is how you deal with it that, that ends up being the, uh, the resultant factor.
1: Here's an interesting one that I'm not sure I always agree with. Number three is collaborate with influencers. Um, you know, this uh, ubiquitous influencer, the person that you pay to hype your product, basically. Yeah, I mean that can go two ways. I think at the end of the day, I mean you can
2: end up being associated with an individual that doesn't necessarily meet your your goals or your or your morals. And I think at the end of the day, part of our problem is, you know, finding what is your underlying uh, moral compass when it comes to business. It's not always reflected in 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 an influencer. Mm. Uh, and I don't think the sincerity is always is, you know you can see through. And I think that's the hardest part at the end of the day. If you can't trust that the person is is going to to have the passion that you're going to have, then how do they get that message across? To your to your people.
1: Hmm. Sometimes, once in a while, it works in specific areas, especially yeah. for lifestyle brands. I find, but once in a while, I mean, you you have to sort of uh, uh, let that growth happen organically. And, yeah, and, and I not, think you know, you'll.
2: But you will see a lot of the times when it does work, there is this sincerity to the person that's the hmm. influencer. At the end of the day,
1: yeah, choose them wisely. Choose someone who yeah. really believes in your product. Uh, number four, help customers solve a problem.
2: Like anything else that we do, uh, at the end of the day, if the customer's paying your bill, uh, I guess we should be probably solving their problem, not our problem. So uh, you're no doubt it's uh, certainly again you you, go, you fall into the professional realm. That, you know we have a tendency to try and force things into uh, into a fixed environment. Whereas I think if you're going to do the best job, either from marketing or from an entrepreneurial side, is find that solution. Listen to
1: what is ailing somebody and solve that. Um more from the list at inc dot com here, experiment with new channels and platforms. So you know, going into the new social social networks, finding that internet channel that might that your followers might like.
2: Yeah. Look, you've, you've got to find a way to get to, your, uh, to get to your buyers at the end of the day. So whether that's social media, I mean, there's no doubt that I think the, the older crowd, when it comes time to, uh, to market, doesn't necessarily see the value. Uh, some people will overhype uh, the social media side of things. So it really is, again, like you said, trying to find that, that right balance and the right person and the right venue in order to get that information out.
1: Here's something to remember in, in marketing. You have to have fun, too.
2: You know what? It's contagious. I think there's no doubt. At the end of the day, when you look at what somebody can bring to the table, go back to that sincerity conversation we had two minutes ago. That at the end of the day, if you can, if if you can display a f- that you're having fun while you're doing it, I mean, we've all been to concerts and you watch that band up on stage and they're smiling and having a great time. You kind of feel the infectious side of it. When they're not,
1: you know, they're punching the clock. Another one here: uh, use big data to target customers. Um, at what point do you think? How big a business do you need to get before you have to? Before you say, you know, big data is something that I have to get into.
2: Well, I think. It,
1: I think you can't ignore
2: big data. I think ultimately at the end of the day, how readily you use it in the environment is going to be a subject of, of what it is, what product you're doing, and uh, what the influencers are at the end of the day. So big data has a place. Uh, I don't think it can be the answer. And I certainly I think if you're running a, a political election in the U.S., apparently big data has uh, has a little bit of room in there. But that's a whole different conversation.
1: And one more from Inc.com. Uh, tell across media stories. So construct your narrative and then tell it on, on various platforms and make sure people can find you on various platforms.
2: Yeah, I think it's important that the, the ability to have uh, your message come across in different ways, unless, the, unless you've only got one type of buyer at the end of the day, your, your product and your story has to be as flexible as, uh,
1: as you want your buyer to be. Coming up, we're going to talk about the apparel business with Chris Odeland of Hatley Apparel. He's our profile of the evening. That is up next. Plus, Nick Moraitis on the latest on uh, family business transition and how that could be perhaps a bit more difficult coming up in the uh, coming years. That's on the way on Today's Entrepreneur.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Mike Newton. In for Josh Miller on today's Entrepreneur tonight. And uh, let's introduce our guest for the evening. Chris Odland is of Hatley Apparel. Chris, welcome to CJAD. Thanks for having me. First, a simple question. Tell me about yourself and, and Hatley. Sure. So,
3: Chris Oldland, I went to Western. There you go. There's my business background, and then I jumped into business. So, Hatley was started in 1986 by my parents. My mother and father moved from Toronto to a town called North Hatley, and my mom opened a gift store. My dad became a professor at Bishop's University. My mom then put an art gallery on the second floor with her illustrations. She put them onto aprons and t-shirts. She started selling them in the store with the other gifts. Number one selling item in the store. My dad catches wind of this with a business background. He says, let's start making more of these. Find someone to silk screen All these illustrations, which were farm animals onto aprons, 10 leads to 20 leads to 30. My dad, business professor on the side, full-time job really, then decides to sell them to other stores. Drives to Knowlton, drives to Magog, drives all over the place, sells more of them. Next thing you know, we're selling aprons and t-shirts with cows and pigs on them all over Quebec. It's a normal story. <laughs> then uh, we have the opportunity to make it even bigger. My dad talks with a friend from Toronto when he, uh, who's gone into business for himself, has a gift company, and that uh, guy introduces him to a sales force. And you can hire a sales force, not full-time, but on commission. And teaches them the ropes, sets up trade show booths across Canada, has these sales people working for him on commission, gives them a couple of samples. Next thing you know, we're selling in Toronto, Vancouver... Uh, Fast forward a little bit into the mid-90s. We're jumping into the United States. Free trade's going on. We've learned how to make lots of cow and pig aprons by the hundreds, eventually thousands. And I leave Western. I move to the States. I duplicate the exact same model. I go to trade shows, set up a booth, dress up in an apron, hire salespeople, convince them that we're worth selling. They sell to all these different boutiques. And then I leave the business, decide to do something different. I moved back to Canada. The business is still growing. It's kind of slowing down a little bit. My parents uh, decide they're not as excited about this anymore. I'm living in New York City. This is 1999. I'm working for a big clothing company in New York. Nick decides to become the designer. That's the second of the three brothers. He had been a documentary filmmaker and a stand up comic. <laughs> Brother Jeremy uh, has been working for a couple of software companies, done quite well. Get this phone call 99. My parents say, we have a little business in Lenoxville, Quebec, roughly eight people. My, my mom doesn't want to design anymore. doesn't want to do all the prints. Without the prints, you can't put anything on these t-shirts, these aprons. My brother, Nick, says, I can do the prints. My brother, Jeremy, says, I can do the operations. And I said, I think I can put a sales force together again, and I can start selling. So in 1999, since we're talking about business transition, this was really simple. My parents said to us, do you want this business? It's free. <laughs> free was good. So we took the business and i left new york city i moved back to north hatley quebec so from many millions to 800 people nick stays in vancouver slowly works his way back to toronto jeremy quits his job in ottawa and by 2000 we decided to move the business to montreal and then the next level went we started developing children's clothing the customers asked about nick turned out to be quite talented thankfully and from there we've grown into a much larger business we had no stores then. Now we have 25 on our way to 30 this year. We're doing all kinds of different exciting things in different countries. That's where we find ourselves today. We have two major divisions. Outstanding.
2: That's what we do. It's kind of a typical Canadian success story, right? Yeah. <laughs> and all that education that you had from Western has gone to good use, I guess, at this point.
3: right? No comment. As long as no one's <laughs> from Western academics is listening, we're good.
1: Tell me about a bit more about uh, sort of uh, your your tie to uh, to Hatley, to the place. Did it inspire some of the brand? Did it inspire some of the work?
3: A little bit. I mean, our product is all about having fun. So we started off uh, making these aprons with whimsical animals. And I, I would say that who inspired us at the beginning? Probably my mum. Then the town. My mum was whimsical. She is whimsical. She great illustrator. Always wanted to have fun. All of her themes were with nature. Nature found around North Hatley. But at the end of the day we put funny sayings on the aprons and t-shirts and jokes and my mother was always whimsical and funny and had an angle rubbed off on us especially nick and being surrounded by nature in north hatley that kind of helped with all the illustrations that we do come from that place and the clothing you know it's clothing you'd wear everywhere in the summer on the resort wherever you go and north hatley is that kind of place so it does inspire someone it
2: certainly seems like There's a little bit of fun to this exercise. I mean, you go back to, like you said, your mom's mom's approach to things. And, you know, the question you asked me before, Dan, in terms of, you know, trying to to, to get your message across, um, I think the, the, the fun side of what you're doing had to be translated and balanced out with the whole business side. Um, I'm sure not every day uh, dealing with two brothers was always the uh, a walk in the park and always fun. Uh, I'm sure there's a few uh, a few exercises along the way that are a little more complicated. Anything in particular that you guys had to learn to tolerate on each other?
3: You know what, we got. I think we're kind of lucky. It was easy and it is easy to tolerate each other when you're all equal partners. We're all paid the same. We own the same amount of the business. No one's a loose end or a troublemaker yet my other two brothers aren't here so i can't speak for them but i'm obviously the talented one since they're not here to defend themselves most easy going yeah exactly the other two you wouldn't want here but you've got me (laughs) uh you know what it's really easy to get along when things are going well we've never had a, a tough year we tolerate each other's mistakes and we've made some massive mistakes and we each have one and we're all in it together what am i supposed to do we own a third a third a third known them since i was born get along great they're very bright. They're talented. I trust them completely. If you make one or two mistakes, what are you supposed to do? We're in it for the long run. And we've been very lucky. We've uh, Everyone works hard. There's no lack of work ethic around Hatley.
2: So I'll challenge to see, uh, do you have any of your kids or any of your uh, nieces and nephews that are interested in getting into the business? Not yet. We're yeah. safe. So let's let let let's have this conversation in about five or seven years when the kids are old enough to get involved and hopefully everybody still gets along. It's it's amazing, though, I think when you look at how when, when the three brothers and the number of clients and friends that have done this, that that is always so much easier than trying to pass it on to the next generation. So you've been lucky so far. you got to start looking at whether those kids want to get in there and how you, you guys need to address if they do come in how you want to. Do it sooner than later. Right. Hypothetically speaking, but sooner than later, just in case.
1: What do you think about uh, the future of Hatley? Do you have expansion plans? Or are you looking uh, to markets abroad?
3: Well, uh, we're already in a bunch of markets. So of the business is about 65% wholesale, so we sell to other boutiques. So sports experts, sales, Nordstrom's, Saks. We sell throughout the United States, the UK, Australia. So we're already in those markets in a wholesale level. And I have salespeople... Selling Hatley and our other division, Little Blue House, every day of the week for us. Then we have 15 stores in Canada. We have nine in the states, one in the UK. So for expansion plans, we have roughly three to five stores a year for the next five years. We just started doing five-year plans. We got big enough where people started telling us you can't have three brothers sit in a room and just wing it because that's what's been going on for quite some time. And then you know, online is huge. You have the minute you open a website, you have an expansion plan. And you just have to learn the tax structures and the shipping structures and how you go into each market. So if you have all that, you're on expansion.
2: the, the, uh, the one thing then maybe we'll come back to it after the breaks, and we're going to break shortly is the uh, you found the, uh, the, the the success story to bricks and mortar. I think you and I had this conversation right. earlier about uh, everybody seems to uh, be shying away from the bricks and mortar stores at the mall, but I think you ha- you may have the solution to this.
1: Chris Odolin joins us of Hatley Apparel. We'll have more on this plus marketing talk in a little bit. We'll talk about family business transition with Nick Moraitis as well later in the hour. Uh, But first, we have a news update on the way here on CJD.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau. Chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com.
1: Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit, the Travis Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Mike Newton in for Josh Miller, who is on his uh, annual Hong Kong trip. He'll be back next week. And with us this evening is Chris Odland of Hatley Apparel. Coming up, we'll chat with Nick Mardis of FL with the latest on uh, new rules for family business transition. Uh, but in the meantime, we're chatting with Chris, um, Mike about uh, about a family business and about how it's sort of sprouted up from uh, from a small their par- small parents business and grow to to what is now, I guess, a multinational operation. Um, Chris, uh, what about marketing? How do you get the word out there about Hadley?
3: Well, every year you're in business is another year you're getting the word out there. So staying in business is the first. Everyone seems to think um, you have to market a lot. and You truly do. But for people to trust you, they have to see you every year in business, whether it's a trade show. You go to a trade show in a market, don't think you did well, and then don't do it again. That just basically tells everybody you're not serious about the market. So if I had to look at the the wholesale side of the business, how we get other boutiques to buy from us to put Hatley product in their stores, the first thing is to get the best sales force you can get together. So that means you've got to find the best salespeople in every country you go to. or in several. Then you have to sign up for the trade shows. You have to make sure that you put the money into the booth, make sure it looks good. You have to make sure that you uh, are prepared to lose some money. Not one year, maybe two years, because you're new and everyone needs to know that you're serious about being in business and as far as the consumer marketing we kind of decided that the website is the face of the company and that needs a lot of attention we've invested a lot of money into staffing up the social media behind it the aesthetic of the site and we feel that the brand is best displayed marketing wise in our own company stores and therefore we put a lot of money time and effort into our stores and again we've done a lot of hiring behind that because this is not something Uh, that we planned on doing. This is just something that happened. And now that we realize how successful it is and where we have been lacking, if you will, that's how we consider the marketing of the brand. It's down to stores now, it's down to online presence.
2: The thing thing I find fascinating is is, I think you talked to a lot of the younger entrepreneurs and and, and the thought process of marketing is social media, it's whatever the case is. They seem to forget the old tried and true tradition of getting in front of people face to face. It was funny as we were walking into this evening, you know, Mark uh, uh, asked us, uh, you know, well, uh, how many weeks a year are you on the road? And I mean, you've cut it down a little bit, but you still spend a lot of time in front of people. And I I think that's as as key as trying to build that relationship. I think there's only so much the social media and or email can, uh, can help get your product out.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. So if you don't visit your customers, someone else is. And whether it's Nordstrom's or sports experts or John Lewis in England, even though you think you don't need to travel and it might be the right thing to do to save some money, Someone's closer. Someone's there. So we made the decision a few years ago to, to go into the British market. We went to the trade shows, hired the salespeople. And I have to be honest, you know, if we're going to talk about mistakes. I felt maybe I was wasting my time. I wasn't listening to the salespeople. I cut back on some uh, some of the marketing initiatives that we're doing at the trade shows. Sales reps actually all fired me. I got a phone call. The sales reps fired Sales reps, fired, reps me. fired me. They called you know me up saying, something wrong yeah, when? exactly. Yeah. They all got together, <laughs> five of them. They called me up saying, you're not taking this seriously. You're not listening to us. You've stopped coming over. We're firing you. I'm like, "Uh, this has never happened. Were you serious? So I had to call one of them, beg them to take me back, to then talk to the rest of them. I flew over next week, and I said, can we just have like, it's almost like an intervention. Sat down, I let them all unload on me. Everything was absolutely right. And it was a learning experience. I, I got them all back on board. I learned to listen. And we know what, if you're in Canada, and you want to go to the UK market, And you decide not to listen to the UK people on the ground. What do you expect? That was a learning experience and I would apply that to everything. So I traveled to whatever customer needs to see me, I'm there. I have other people doing that for me, but I listened to them too saying, Chris, we have an issue here. Get on a plane, go. Thats yeah. how it works.
2: You know, the loyalty, the certainly the turnovers uh, are huge at, at buying uh, you know the buyers at, at different companies, especially at the retail stores. You know everybody's changing a buyer, so there's very little loyalty there. and I think there's only so much you can ride on your laurels when uh, when you come to certainly building those relationships and face to face will go a long way. It's not easy, it's not easy on the family, but I think it's still part of uh, what you have to do.
1: So you mentioned, um, I, I guess, the issues caused by being sometimes an absentee boss. Uh, that That's something that I've been accused of as well, when you're spreading yourself too thin. How do you communicate to your to your team that uh, that you're there for them and uh, to instill that confidence in your team?
3: Well, first off, my team tells me when I'm an absentee boss. <laughs> so that was the first thing. A lot of interventions at the Hatley. To, to put this into perspective, we've been very successful. But at the same time, it's been three brothers talking over coffee or at lunch or traveling, making decisions. And poorly communicating to the rest of the team. What we learned over the years was as we got bigger, we could afford to hire better people. Everyone that works for us now, probably we should be reporting to them. Uh, We're lucky like that. We have the confidence in what we do and we own the business that we're not threatened by that, if you will. I'm never going to be threatened by someone challenging me, especially the team we have now. So for all of our deficiencies, we've actually got a senior management team that compensates for all of that. If I'm not around, there are two really good people that work directly for me that are going to say exactly what I would do. And if they didn't, it's probably a better decision than what I had in mind anyways. So we've been lucky in that by delegating more than they could probably handle, they've all learned how to compensate for us not being around, made some big decisions. The same flexibility I've given to my brothers, my brothers have given to me. I give it to the senior staff. They've made some big mistakes. I can't blame them. I wasn't around. I didn't answer the email quick enough. I didn't take it seriously enough. And- That kind of loyalty, that they know they can make those mistakes, brings confidence and honesty to any media I have. And that would apply to all of our direct reports at Hatley. We're lucky in that way
2: yeah i think the ability to build confidence and loyalty amongst your team is is something that's overlooked in many cases i'll just replace i'll just bring somebody else in the reality at the end of the day is i think that that is a huge long-term benefit and uh yeah if you can put your tail between your legs once in a while and you made a mistake and you know even if it's at your ego's expense with the rest of the team i think it goes a long way in showing that you're human and i think it goes a long way in building a relationship that you can uh, you can foster an environment of mistakes and you know what it happens some, like we said before, some of the best education comes from making mistakes. It's what you do with it, not that, not the
1: fact that you made the mistake. How many employees are you at now?
3: I think we're about just shy of 300. Hmm.
1: And how do you maintain a, a cohesive corporate culture when your employees are kind of scattered in some cases?
3: Well, again, this uh, level of senior management. My brother's a big part, right? So Nick has a design team in Toronto, and... Uh, There's raw talent there, right? They're doing illustrations. So if you look at our website and you see all the stuff we're making, it's all dependent upon the art. Nick is a true and through artist. His team respects him because he can do everything that they can do. They've become better at him than that, but he's an art director. He nurtures them. He knows exactly what they're going through. It wasn't like some manager parachuted in uh, who has a a consultant that thinks they understand it. He's been through every step they're going through. So he's 14 people that have learned with him along the way Spends time with them, takes the time to go through their projects, doesn't ignore their their comments. That spirit stays there. I've seen his team; they think he's great. I would say the same thing. When we only had six people, and I was driving a minivan to a trade show, and I ran out of gas and I missed half the show, that kind of that's happened, right? So hypothetically really, speaking, of course, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Uh, I've made all these mistakes that they're going to make. I have no problem with that. That culture goes a long way.
1: We'll be talking about family business transition shortly. Um, How do you solve disputes as a family? Is there a tiebreaker or do you have a system?
3: You know what? Uh, Here's how it works. I have sales and marketing. Nick has design. Jeremy has operations. At the end of the day, you cannot overrule any one brother in their jurisdiction. Mm. We can be as brutal with each other and we are up until the decision is made. But if it's an operations issue and Jeremy wants it to go down like that, it's down like that.
2: Quick question before we go to break: uh, the whole discussion of bricks and mortar. You mentioned to me you have you found the secret to uh, to to selling uh, selling in, in in a store. What's that?
3: So we're selling fun, and we don't go to malls. We're in all the resorts. So if there's a ski hill, a golf course, or a beach, we're there, and that's where we're heading. Or, or tourists are traveling. They're not out comparison shopping. They're want a quick gift, or they're the right customer at the right place. They can afford to be at the airport, if you will. For that cap, price cap,
2: point. captive audience while they're waiting for a flight
3: that's it so our airport store in Montreal' is fantastic uh, Banff store Tron Blanc, Blue Mountain we have two stores now in some of these resorts that's how that's mm-hmm. where it's at for the future for bricks and mortar the malls are dangerous in my mind.
1: Interesting. Uh, Chris Odeland of Hatley Apparel joining us this evening will have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just a little while. Uh, and coming up next, Nick Moratus will join us from FL with the latest on family biz- business transition rules and what you need to know if you have uh, a family business. That's on the way.
0: professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau. Chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com.
1: Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur Inspiring Stories from Outstanding Business People. Dan Delmar and FL's Mike Newton in for Josh Miller this week. We're joined by Chris Odelin of Hatley Apparel. His uh, one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. Uh, But first, we're chatting uh, now with Nick his tax partner at FL, uh, to talk about family business transition. Welcome back, Nick. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Very good. First, anything? Uh, any updates uh, since we had um, uh, Finance Minister Bill Nor- Bernal Morneau's big proposal a while ago? Uh, have any changes gone into effect?
4: Well, aside from the ones that uh, Mike mentioned earlier, there has been—they pulled back a, a lot uh, at the, in the third week of October. We're all waiting for new legislation. I guess we'll get it on the 23rd of December, just as we're all boarding our planes to go somewhere warm. And we'll read it on on holidays. But in terms of uh, the business succession, which is which was an enormous issue as part of the July eighteen, um, you know, Chris, what you mentioned in nineteen ninety nine about parents uh, transferring business down to uh, their children, uh, th- that's been a problem with the government. And uh, in the July eighteen proposals, uh, somebody in finance got the bright idea that um, we we want to make it even tougher. Uh, without fully realizing that business also means farms, also means fisheries, and, and, and involves anything that's Canadian uh, that is uh, run by a family. And where we want to keep it within within a family, and family, I don't mean just from parents down to siblings. It could be between your brothers. If one of your three brothers wakes up one day, hits the bright age of 60 like I did this year, and then says, you know what, I, I like to cut back and ease up and don't and not be there all the time. What do you do? And the government's been uh, really grappling with that because they feel it could be an enormous amount of abuse. Um, cause, um, and that's where we get into capital gains exemptions, we get into capital gains, or we get into dividends. Um, and one of the things that we're finding and family businesses are finding, it's easier for you to sell to a, pure, a complete stranger, um, a foreigner who wants to buy your business. And you can do all the planning you want. You can get your capital gains exemption. You can get, get a capital gain treatment and pay uh, a lower rate of tax. You can defer your payments out to the to match the payment schedule that you're going to get paid. It, it works. And you can do all the planning and, and, and bring in the family, et cetera, to be multiple sellers. If, if you decide tomorrow or your two brothers decide tomorrow, we don't want to do this anymore. We do want to sell to you because you have this management team. You don't need us, uh, which is, I think, pretty good in terms of business. Um, I, all the things that we can do, you selling to a stranger, I can't do with family. All of a sudden, your tax rate just shoots up. And with the liberals uh, that came out in July 18 that they have thankfully have backed off, it would have doubled that tax rate even more. So it made it almost impossible. And, and the concern with the government seems to be that um, you could be diabolically wake up one day and say to your brothers, you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell you parts of my shares. And, and 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 Nick, you sell parts of your share to Jeremy, and Jeremy will sell the rest back to you, uh, Chris. And we'll all claim the capital gains exemption. We'll all get it financed. We're 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 laughing. We got you know a whole bunch of money tax-free in our pockets, and the business is paying back the loan, which is exactly what would happen had you sold it to somebody you don't know. But within the family context, they're f- they're very fearful of that. So what they do is they bring up a whole bunch of walls to not allow you to do that. But in not allowing you to do that, it gets very difficult. So now. You selling out to your brother, you know you're in a you're in a capital gains situation. If he does it the proper way, if you say no, I, I want Chris. I, I'm selling, but I want my capital gains exemption. You've just caused him to pay forty plus percent tax to find the money to pay you. Um, so you got to then agree to pay a lower rate of tax, but then he's got to give up something. You've got to give up something, which doesn't happen in arm's length, uh, and that's the that's the issue that we've been having.
2: Well, and I think part of the problem, you know, is, is there's a tax implication, which obviously we have to we have to be aware of. And there should be no abuse. But, you know, the handful of cases that are abused, there's so many others that are legitimate. And it's like everything else we do in our society where, you know, one person makes a mistake, everybody else pays the yeah, pr- price. Yeah, you, but you,
4: you just need one. Uh, and if it winds its way to court, then this is what happens. Now, they're conscious of that. And I think the message got across with, with everybody who sent in submissions that they're saying, okay, we're trying to find... How do we do this? How do we get you on the even footing between me selling to my siblings or to my nieces and nephews and kids, or me selling to a stranger who's coming out of out of the woodwork? how How can we do the same? How can we do the deal? And they're coming up with uh, all these th- thought process. Quebec tried, I think, in the last year, they came up with a rule for I think it was limited to manufacturers. Which are you a manufacturer? I'm not quite sure.
3: No, not anymore. It okay.
4: Used to be. So it would have been for manufacturers and primary industry where they're trying to grapple. How can here in Quebec we allow a family transition, and and what's the principles behind it? So one of the principles is is uh, that the founder has to sell and, and gone. You're, you're gone. You're out of it. There's no more control. There's no more shares. There's no more nothing. Uh, and the Fed and the liberals are thinking in the same lines. Um, the the um, was it the the person buying you has to be fully engaged in the business. So you can't sell to passive family members. That doesn't work. Uh, If there are family members where shareholders are not fully engaged in the business, these rules don't apply. Um, You can't have continuous votes or influence, even though the company may still owe you a debt because they don't have the cash to pay you. But you can't say boo regarding that. You can't take an action that would suggest that you're still influencing. So there's a lot of very complicated rules here in Quebec, but they tried, they brought it in last year, We haven't seen it adopted, we don't see very many people use it, because if you want to get the Quebec tax-free treatment, uh, you get the worst treatment federally. Mm -hmm. So you're paying a much higher rate in federally, a zero rate in Quebec, and so the average works out to about a 22% tax rate, versus just selling it normally, get a capital gain and pay 26. So for that four-point differential on, on your capital gains exemption. You're not going to go through the legal work and, and getting the contracts to fit into the legislation.
2: Part of my concern relies about this short-term gain for long-term pain. I mean, if you the, the, our governments are so hell-bent on balancing a budget or coming close to balancing a budget that we're going to take whatever dollars we can take off the table now, put it in our pocket, and we'll worry about it somewhere down the road. Well, unfortunately, the implications you're talking are great if I sell to somewhere else. Right? I can't keep I can I can keep my voting <clears throat> shares if I sell to somebody else but well, I can't keep them if there's a family matter and, even
4: I, with all these income splitting which <laughs> is still going through we're all waiting for new legislation that kicks in in 2018 the joke around the tax community is don't go into business with your family it's it's it, it's a much and I can tell people it's you can go out and hire somebody or bring on a new shareholder a key employee or something like that or a third party get a, a get a, a angel investor in and the rules all fall apart, you do what you have to do to make the deal. So let's And so you pay what you want. Bring in a family member and a whole bunch of rules kick in. Are you are you paying the fair market value? Are you are they are they, are they getting something extra then that, that'll get taxed a bad way? Can you sell a little bit? It'll get taxed a bad way. We we just haven't come up with something simple to allow families to transition their businesses from one member either down the generation or, or across the gen or across the siblings and all that.
2: So very quickly as we finish up, the I think that uh, what we're looking at here is made in Canada but, but owned by a foreigner, and I think that's where we're going to go if we don't start figuring this out. The the
4: sad part that is that that's a, a serious choice between yeah absolutely.
2: So
1: Nick, we'll have you back to explain when those charge when those changes do go into yeah, effect. Twi- of course. December twenty fourth. I'll be here. <laughs> so well you'll be the only one but so we'll have you back in january to talk about that uh, chris odland of hetley apparel as we close the show sir what is your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur
3: keep taking chances keep taking risks i mean we've done it all the time we've had to reinvent ourselves in different ways uh, always because of a challenge or mistake we made but you know we took a risk opened stores when no one else was opening stores started women's clothing divisions when we really didn't know what we were doing but we took a chance and it's paid off for us
1: Excellent. Well, best of luck. Congratulations. Thanks for stopping by tonight. Thank you, and thanks, Mike, for subbing for Josh uh, this evening. That was one, fun. one day I'll get introduced as not subbing for Josh. <laughs> uh Oh, turmoil at FL. Uh, until then, uh, I'm Dan Delmar. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll—I oh, oh, won't be back next Monday, but Josh will be with uh, a little business you may have heard of called Saint Vader Bagel. I believe uh, they—some people know them here locally. I'm sure I'm sure,
2: sure they'll keep you entertained.
1: That is next Monday at seven on CJD. Have a good night. Thanks.